But anyway, let's, let's look at verse number one, Psalm 51. David says, actually, let's, let's go a little bit above that to the, uh, to the script right above, verse number one. The Bible says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him, after he had gone into Bathsheba, have mercy upon me, O God. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thy altar. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for allowing us to be here. Lord, we pray that you bless the reading of your word. We pray that it will not return void in our hearts. It will do uh, what you've intended it to do, Lord, and that's to draw us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you again for allowing us to be here. And in your precious and holy name do we pray. Amen. All right. So, you know, we, we hear about David here uh, in many ways doing a lot of mistakes in his life. And as we'll see through this text, we learn that David, like many of us, he made a lot of mistakes. He, I mean, he made some grave mistakes. That's the like many of us part. But David learned how to repent. And, and we're going to talk about these things here. And God's grace was upon David. And he did a lot of not so great things. The faults found in this young shepherd boy were nothing compared to his early sins as a king. You know, when the things he did, disobeying mom and dad or maybe not doing something right at home, when he became king, those sins just were so much more. And y'all know what I'm, I'm speaking of and we're going to talk about here this morning. But the Bible says in Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Praise the Lord. And what we learn from the, from the, from the life of David is really not a life of perfection. And we can, all, we can all see that. There's only one person we can learn a life of perfection from, and that's our Savior, but what we learn from David is, as already said, a life of repentance, a life of walking with God regardless of self. You see, on the outside, David committed some pretty heinous sins. And he knew that and he knew that he failed the Lord, but he eventually became a faithful king. 
A matter of fact, in 1 Kings chapter 15, the Bible says, David did, did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So as Christians, we don't condone his sinful actions because God did not condone his sinful acts. I love that about the Bible. The Bible doesn't just paint some, some sugar-coated Christian life or some sugar-coated believer's life. It tells us the, the, the men and the women in here who fail and God still works in their lives. So again, we don't condone his, uh, his sinful actions. But if you study the life of David, again, you will unmistakably see that he knew repentance and he paid dearly for those sins. You might ask why he paid so dearly. And we're going to talk about some of these things this morning, some of the, some of the consequences of his sins. But if you think about it, why, does, why do we pay dearly for our sins? And that's because God takes sin serious. He takes sin extremely serious. More than any of us can fathom. I mean, think about the purpose of the cross. That's the seriousness that God takes sin. So we can learn from David's failures, but we can also learn from his submission. We can learn from his faithfulness. And while David was clearly bold in his sin, I would say he's probably more bold in the things, some of the sins that he did. I think he was more bold in his walk with the Lord. But today's sermon is not going to be about his boldness as much as it, as much as it is his brokenness. Look at verse 17 again of Psalm 51. The Bible says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. This entire psalm was written from a broken heart. It's one of David's penitent psalms, the fourth one of what's called his penitent psalms. But if you know the story, and we're going to get a little bit into that story, it took a lot for David to get to the point to write Psalm 51. I think we all should have a Psalm 51 moment in our lives when our spirits are broken and our hearts are contrite, when we realize that our, our expressions, if you will, our spiritual expressions, our emotions, pin out our version of a Psalm 51. It took a lot for David to come to this. David sinned greatly to get to this point. Before he got to this point. Again, look at the preface of Psalm 51. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone to Bathsheba. You know, I like the, I believe that these prefaces, if you will, are scripture. In fact, in a lot of the German Bibles, they are verse 1. And I like that fact that they're there. They're a part of the text. It tells us what this psalm is about. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him, after he had gone into Bathsheba. And since the Bible tells us what motivated this psalm, uh, we know that David has committed adultery and then covered it up. Let's take our, take our Bibles and go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We'll, we'll stay mostly in, in Psalm, but 2 Samuel chapter 12 kind of gives us the story, the narrative, if you will, of what what motivated David to write these words. So again, we already know that he's committed adultery. He's, he's murdered to cover that adultery up. He now sits as king, and he's not come forth with the truth. He's, he's harboring that guilt, that, that crime. 
Neither at this point before we read this has he asked for forgiveness. He is being stubborn in his own sin. And may I just say, if we're going to be stubborn in something, let's be stubborn for the Lord. Don't let things take us away from the Lord. Be stubborn in that. And those things that really don't, as we say in Tennessee, amount to a hill of beans. Don't be stubborn in those things. Be stubborn for the Lord. So he now sits as king, not, not forgiven, nor has he asked for forgiveness. And as a believer in God, David is a believer now. He is guilty of what I consider, and I think the text agrees with me here, of one of the most, if not the most, dangerous thing for a believer. He's guilty of unrepentant sin. Now, his sins are great. Adultery and murder. But sin is sin. He's guilty of unrepentant sin. And as much as we know about David from the life of David is as a child and, and later on, I think it's probably eating him up a little bit. He's putting on a good show, but it's tearing him apart. I think they were haunting him, these unrepentant sins. If David was truly a man after God's own heart, these sins were tearing him apart. The murder, the adultery, the conspiracy. He, even as a king, a a theocracy almost, if you will, he did not, as the king, hold the moral ground, the moral high ground. He did not have a right spirit before God. He was guilty. Guilty. He knew he was guilty. And of all the things God blessed him with, he had to have something that God didn't bless him with. And when Bathsheba began to show, she couldn't hide that sin anymore, and so... That's kind of where we're at now. Look at, look at verse number 1 of chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. Nathan is a man of God, of course. And the Bible says uh, he's a prophet there. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb which he had uh, bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock, of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor. So let me read that again. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he, the rich man, spared to take of his own flock, didn't want to take of his own flock and of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. Y'all see the, the picture, the parallel, right? Verse 5 says, And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, that man, the man that hath done this thing, shall surely die. David pronounced judgment on himself. Verse 6 says, And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Wow. Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house. 
because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will rise up against thee out of the out of thine I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbors, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of his son, for thou didst it in secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given the great occasion to, for the enemies of, of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. We know the end of that story. The child dies. David uh, still serves the Lord. But let's talk about some of these things here. What we see here is that David tried to hide his sin. But you can't hide sin. I mean, we know this, right? We can't hide sin. It's going to catch up with us. Numbers 22 or 32, 23, Moses wrote, Ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. In David's great cover-up, he had her husband pushed to the front lines in the hottest part of the battle with Joab, his other general, pushing Uriah there. And then Joab led everybody, hey, retreat, and left Uriah there, a man that worked, that would give his life for David, left him there in the battle by himself to die. And he died. And at least a few months have passed by now, probably a full year since Uriah's death, and David takes Bathsheba to be his wife. He thinks it's all good. This man died in battle. I'm the honorable man. I have taken this, this subordinate of mine. I've taken his wife. I've taken her in. All these things like that. If we can even call that honorable. But she and their child, of course, move in with David into the king's palace. And on the outside, everything just seems great. Prim and proper. But there's sin in the camp. David knows it. Bathsheba knows it. Joab knows it. And most importantly, God knows it. God knows the sin. So shortly thereafter, God, as we just read here, God sent Nathan the prophet to see David. And this may, his price may seem high for you and I to pay. And it is a high price to pay. Sin always carries a high price. But the fact of the matter is that sin always costs more than we can bear. It always costs more than we can bear. Again, David great, had paid greatly for his sins. And while he begged the Lord to heal that son, the child died about a week later. And I want to point out something very special about David in his life. We didn't read it all, but he, he mourned for a while trying to save the baby's life. And the, and the Lord took the baby and David went up and he got right with the Lord and he praised the Lord. I want to point out that he could have, he could have got angry at God. And in our minds, he would have all the, all the foundation to be angry with God. Look, God took my child. I want to be angry at God. He could have gotten bitter. I don't want to serve the Lord anymore. He could have responded in a number of ways towards God. But he chose to place his hand, his life, his soul, all of him, into the hands of Almighty God. That's why Psalm 51 begins that way. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. See, David knew that he didn't just sin against Uriah. He didn't just sin against Bathsheba, Joab, and, and his fellow men, and even his kingdom. But he sinned against his creator God. He sinned against God. And in Psalm 51, we can see, we can learn, and follow the actions of David as he turns his heart back to God. 
May it be a sign for us, a pattern for us. And while Psalm 51 has many truths and many applications, we're going to look at some identifications or, or some things that David did that identify us with his actions. Now, in this passage, I want you to see back in Psalm 51, there are seven I statements. There's seven things that David says, I'm, I'm going to do or something's going to happen to me. Seven of them. Look at verse three. We'll read through some of these things. Uh, verse three says, for I acknowledge my transgressions. Verse four says, against thee have I sinned. Uh, verse five says, behold, I was shapen in iniquity. Verse 7 says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Verse 7 says, I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 13 says, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. And verse 16 says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. But of all those statements, David really only has control over three of those. So he'll be cleansed, but it's not him doing the cleansing. So let's look at three of these things that David has control over, things that he can do. And, and let's be honest, we, we can't be responsible for things that ha we have no control over. But I think at the same time, we're more responsible with our lives than we think we are. There's a lot of things that are in our ball court, if you will. And while we won't look at these things in a verse-by-verse -verse order that David placed them here in Psalm 51, I want to look at them in a chronological order that David committed them in 1 Samuel chapter 12 and 13, or before that. And it will be obvious as we go through these things. For example, verse 1 in Psalm 51 is a plea for God's mercy. But it's not until verse 3 that David acknowledges his sin. Well, there's no plea for mercy if we don't acknowledge our sin. So that acknowledgement must become before that. So first number, or the first point this morning, I want to point out that David acknowledged his depravity. David acknowledged his depravity. In this acknowledgement of his depravity, there's two things that, that David kind of focuses on that I think are very important for us even today. Now, I want you to picture this for a moment. Picture David on his throne, whatever, that, whatever you envision of that. David's on the throne. There he sits in all his glory, perfect golden places and temples and all these things like that, chairs and, and all that fanciness, and actually judging others. Remember later on, his, his son takes the king or takes the kingdom and you know, they bring the woman up there fighting over the over the child. Solomon makes judgment. So David is also judging others while he's guilty of sin. I mean, an unrepentant sin. It's not that we're sinless. It's that we are blameless. That's I mean, we don't harbor unrepentant sin. So picture David there on the throne and all his glory, judging others and making decisions. And in walks Nathan. And I don't know, maybe we kind of picture this maybe as the, as the, as the courtroom or as, the, um, as his throne room, if you will. And David's up here and Nathan walking to him and he's coming up there with, I think maybe David could see his finger from way back there, you know, just, just coming forward. And he's like, this is not going to be good. Because, I mean, think about it. I mean, the Bible doesn't talk about it, but let's be real. David's a real person. Nathan's a real person. If you're in David's part and you see Nathan coming in, I don't know, you're coming in the, the convenience store. I'm going out the back. I don't want to talk to Nathan. I mean, when you see someone that's right with the Lord and you're not right with the Lord, you don't want to talk to them. You want to, oh, oh, there's Nathan. Let me, let, me, let me get out of here. I don't want to talk to him because I know he's going to tell me to get right with God. I had a friend of mine who was going through a terrible, uh, this, uh, terrible life choice, and the life choice was his, and his decision was wrong. And I talked to him about it, and his response to me was, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to get right with God because if I do get right with God, I have to undo the decision that I've made. Wow, we're all there. I think David was there. There he is sitting on his, on his throne and in walks Nathan with that determined look on his face. 
and he begins to tell them the story of a rich man who stole a poor man's lamb. And David, blinded by sin, can't see what the, the application to himself. He becomes angry and he passes immediate judgment and Nathan comes forward. He sticks out his finger on his chest maybe and says, thou art the man. Now I've heard one preacher say this is, Nathan is not coming up to David and said, hey, you're the man. That's not what he's talking about. You're the man in the story he's talking about. You're the guilty party. And I think it's like that finger went right through the heart of David. But here's what's unique about David and about this, how God working in the life of David. As soon as David, as quick as David passed judgment, he also repented. He also repented. Look at back at um, chapter 12. I think I lost my point. Uh, Sam, second Samuel chapter 12. And I want to look, I want you to see David's first reaction. It's important for us to, to see this, I think. Second Samuel chapter 12. You see in verse 7, Nathan says to David, thou art the man. And Nathan begins to speak. Verse 8, Nathan is still speaking about what God has given David. In verse 9, David, or Nathan is still speaking. In verse 10, Nathan. Verse 11, still Nathan speaking for the Lord. Verse 12, for thou did this secretly, but I will do this thing openly. Nathan still speaking for God. Verse 13, David speaks. And David said unto Nathan, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I've sinned against the Lord. No, wait a minute now. You, you're misinterpreting that parable. That don't apply to me. You didn't see me do that. No, no, I'm guilty. No, no, no trying to change anything. I'm guilty. I've sinned against the Lord. And even though he wronged another man, even though he did all these wicked things to lots of people, David, he sinned against God and he recognized that. And I think today, if we truly realize... If we can truly get a hold of the truth that our sin is against God, our sin is against a perfect and holy God, our sin will become exceedingly sinful. And we will recognize it as such. And we will throw ourselves on the mercy of the court, if you will. Maybe we could grasp the seriousness of sin if we knew that it offended a holy God. Maybe we would even be ashamed of that sin. You don't, you don't see a lot of shame anymore about sin these days. People even professing Christian today live in unrepentant sin and they brag about it. The world is full of, of believers, if you will, like this, who live out their version of holiness. But what we really need today are Christians who are, when faced with the sin that they know they're hiding, repent. They just repent. We need Christians who will acknowledge their unrepentant sin, their depravity. We need Christians who will recognize who God is and that they are not God and they have to live their lives according to God's words. And while we're talking about that, maybe we need a little bit more David's. I guess you can kind of say that in his, repent, in his example of repentance. But we also need a little bit more Nathans. We need some Nathans today. We need folks to stand up in love for Jesus, to teach others about repentance and forgiveness. And we'll come back to that here in a moment. But look, that, look here that David acknowledges depravity by acknowledging his unrepentant sin. 
But David didn't stop there. He took it a little bit further. Which probably, if, if Nathan read Psalm 51, it no doubt took him by surprise. Because not only did David recognize his depravity, his, his unrepentant sin, he recognized, he acknowledged his unregenerate state. Look back at Psalm 51. Verse 5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This is about as clear as you're going to get from the Old Testament that we are born in sin. We are born in or with an unregenerate state. We sin by volition and we sin by nature because it is our nature. And in this verse here, David was not trying to get an excuse here. David, David was not going to God and saying, well, I'm a sinner anyway, so you know this is going to happen. That's not what David is doing here. He's recognizing his unregenerate, unregenerate state. He was merely recognizing that he was also a sinner by birth. He was born into sin, and David chose to sin. And by the way, we all are in the same category. The prophet Jeremiah, who was a few years after David, he wrote in Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all wicked, all things, and desperately wicked. David would have agreed with that in a heartbeat, at the drop of a hat. And what David is saying is that he is totally eaten up by sin. I've, I've been conceived in iniquity, shaped in iniquity. I am eaten up by sin. Sin has consumed me. I am a slave to it. And my only hope is for God to intervene in my life. Have mercy upon me, O God. I'm guilty. In every aspect, Nathan, I'm guilty. Inside and out, wherever you look, I'm stained with sin. Which leads to David's next response. In verse 1, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God. David asked for cleansing. Have mercy upon me, O God. Without even reading the rest of the psalm, I think about the emotional state of someone who wrote the first verse there, who, who begins writing a letter to God. Now, I don't think I've ever written a letter to God, but maybe that's some good examples there. Maybe that's something for us to, to experience there. David is writing, have mercy upon me, O God. What emotional state would cause us to write that with a pure heart? Have mercy upon me, O God. What would bring you to that point? Whatever point that is, this is where David's at. He needed forgiveness. He needed mercy. He begged for mercy. But notice also the second half of that verse. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. I need you, God, to blot out my transgressions. I'm guilty. I need, clean, cleanse. I need cleansing. And in the acknowledgement of his own sin, David also acknowledged the sinlessness of God. Because only God, he who is sinless, can cast out sin. So David wasn't claiming any footing. He wasn't saying, well, I'm a Jew, so you know, you just go ahead and you know, slide, me, slide me a favor here and forgive my sins. You know, I am the king that you put me here, so can't you overlook some of these things? No, David says, I'm guilty. I need cleansing. He begged for purging based on the loving kindness and mercy of an all-loving God. In fact, in this, in this chapter here, David begs for cleansing ten times. Ten times David asked for forgiveness, asked for cleansing. Look at verse 1. I'm going to read through some of these things. Blot out my transgressions. Verse 2 says, wash me thoroughly. This is David continuing to beg for cleansing. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Verse 2 again, cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop. 
Verse 7, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 9, hide thy face from my sins. Verse 9, blot out mine iniquities. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart. Verse 10, renew a right spirit within me. Verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltness. Ten times David begs for cleansing. He asks for cleansing. You see, again, David had come to a point where he threw himself on the mercy of God. On the court, the mercy of the court, he figured that mercy from God the one he sinned against, the all-knowing, all-perfect God, is his greatest chance. And you know, he was right. Because God is the most righteous judge of the highest court. Psalm 50, verse 6 says, The heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. And Genesis 18, 25, Abraham called God the judge of all the earth. David was wise to appeal to God's mercy. It is wise for us to appeal to God's mercy. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I love that passage. In other words, we who have sinned, and that's every one of us, we have an advocate. We have a lawyer. We have some who comes alongside of us, parakletos there in the Greek. We have someone who is with us, an advocate with the Father. And I think I miss that sometimes. I think we miss that. The judge, the father who's judge of all the earth, and we're all going to stand before him. But at the same time, that judge sent his only begotten son who is standing next to us as a man before the judge of all the earth, pleading our cause. He is our lawyer to present us before him. God became man to represent man. And our advocate, Jesus Christ, wisely tells us to throw ourselves in the mercy of the court. You, know, you won't hear that from a lawyer today. Oh, just at your, at your pleasure, judge. You won't hear that today. But Jesus says that to us about the Lord. Much like David, we are to accept whatever comes from the righteous judge. And the greatest truth in this courtroom here is that our sins have been paid for. Because he is not only our advocate, he is our atonement. I mean, find me a lawyer that will do as, I can probably go many, many ways with that statement. But find me a lawyer that would do what Christ did for us before the judge. Who would, who would sacrifice his time and more so and over and over many things in his life to prove our innocence. To pay even for that innocence. Romans 5, 10, 11 says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Jesus Christ is our atonement. So like David, we must acknowledge our sinful depravity. And then we beg, we beseech, we ask the Lord for forgiveness and purging. Now, this is not just for sinners who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. This is for each and every one of us to maintain a right walk with God. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto thy multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. You know, the Bible promises us and promises us in Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? You know, have you realized that you have a depraved state, an unregenerate, an unrepentant sin in your life? Call out to the Lord and ask him for cleansing. You know, in this story here, Nathan believed that God was the cleanser. David believed. We too can believe and be redeemed. But notice, praise the Lord, that David didn't stop there either. 
Back in Psalm 51, look at verse 10. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. And verse 13 says, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. Then sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, thou God of my salvation. And then, if you will, my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. David avowed his life to God. You see, David, if I can say this as nice as possible, David refused to be a nominal believer. Flat out refused it. I do not want to live a nominal Christianity. That's what we would say. David refused to be cleansed and just live a flippant life full of ungratefulness. David chose to commit his entire life to God. In fact, as, he, as we've already read, the Bible tells us that he, he stayed true to that promise. He, the Bible says he turned not from anything that commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the Uri Uriah the Hittite, the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So excluding this ordeal here that caused Psalm 51, as a king, David did that which was right in the eyes of God. Now this doesn't make him perfect, but that he took his forgiveness serious. And that's... I think maybe that's the, that's the point this morning. If you're a Christian and you know you've been forgiven, let that revolutionize your whole life. That should change everything about you. I mean everything from, from what we watch on television to the music we listen to, to the language that comes out of our mouth, to the company we keep, to what we drink and what we eat and all those things. It should change everything about us. The fact that God would forgive David from such a wicked sin in the mind of David deserved a whole life of living my all for the Lord Jesus Christ or for God the Father. You see, David learned how to repent over and over again in order to keep his walk before God in harmony. He learned about the extreme wickedness of sin and more important, he learned about the extreme greatness of God's grace because truthfully, all sin separates us from God. All sin. Even the little sin that we're harboring, the little white lie that we told, all of those things keep us from God. The Bible says in the Old Testament when the children were, were trying to get a hold of God and God's response, in, in my own words here, your sins have separated me from you. Your iniquities. I can't speak to you because you have unrepentant sin. Repent. David learned how to repent. And again, all sin separates us from God. The atonement for any amount of our sin required the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, that's, and this, my friend, deserves a life of commitment, no matter what. No matter what comes our way. As a Christian, there is not a single person who has done more for you than Jesus Christ. And in this psalm, David, his commitment to God is seen in two different ways. In two different ways. And we got them both up here. Teaching others and singing praise. Look at verse 13. And verse 13 says, Then will I teach transgressors, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. At first glance, as we look through these things, as we look at the text and we, and we study the words of David, it almost seems, and we're kind of coming to a close here this, this morning, it almost seems as if David's contrition, 
his broken heart was so deep that he was so sorry, that he was so guilty, so ridden with guilt, so sorry that he sinned against God, that that guilt compelled him to walk in harmony. Right? Y'all with me? So we've done something really, really bad. And now because we've done something really, really bad, God's caught us in that. Or a Nathan has pointed out that in our lives. And we want to repent. We, we try to repent. And we hopefully do repent. But that guilt is still there. We can't get away from it. And that guilt compels us to go to church today. To go read my Bible today because I have that guilt inside of me. But that's not what guilt's for. When we repent, the guilt's gone. The guilt did not did not compel him. Now, it was certainly a starting point, but look at verses 12 and 13 again. The Bible says, David writes, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. That is a verse I've prayed many times. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors. Um, I'm guilty and I feel bad about my sin. Then will I teach transgressors? No. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors. Then shall sinners be converted unto thee. His restoration be was before his commitment. His restoration came before his commitment. You see, I believe that it was not David's shame or his guilt that motivated his desire to teach others. But his restoration. Deliver me from blood guiltness, verse 14 says. O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing. My tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. I am delivered, so I am going to sing. In other words, it was his deliverance that compelled him to sing. Not guilt. His shame was not the motivator. His motivation was not sourced in a heart of brokenness or a heart of guiltiness, if you will. It was sourced in God. In God's grace. And in God's mercy. You know, grace is the greatest motivator to do the things of God. If you're motivated by any other thing, you're going to fall short. It's going to change. You're, it won't keep you on the right course. Grace for what Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary will keep us on the right path. It is the only thing that will keep us on the right path. Grace, motivated obedience. While the depth of our sin and the presence of holiness should always put us on our face in shame, but the greatness of His grace should raise us in praise, should raise us in worship to live out our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be so amazed about God's grace that it compels us to tell the world what God did for us. May you and I teach transgressors the way of righteousness, motivated by grace, so that sinners will be converted unto him. You see, in reality, like David, we should come full circle. We should come full circle. This episode in David's life began with unrepentant sin, and it ended with David praising and teaching others about God. And this is the power of the gospel. This is the challenge of the gospel, from sin to repentance to praise. Yes, David committed a wicked sin, and you of I have committed sins, wicked as much as David, mind you, in the eyes of God. But like David, when we are confronted, whether it's in church, whether it's in reading, whether it's in that walk with the Lord, or whether it's by a Nathan, we must repent. We must repent. When we are confronted with that sin, when our wretchedness is revealed to us in the light of God's righteousness, may we repent and turn to Him in praise. You see, David acknowledged his depravity, and he then begged God for mercy. 
and forgiveness. And when God created a clean heart in him, it changed his life. It was actually a new heart. You know, as Christians, we are actually new creatures in Christ, new people. And sometimes we just, it's like we're still living in our before Christ life, but we are new people. David acknowledged his depravity, begged God for mercy, and then God cleansed him. It changed his life. And he committed the rest of his life to God. And the questions for us today are, have you acknowledged your depravity? Do you know how you are in front of God? What do you have to stand on? Have you acknowledged your depravity? Are you living in unrepentant sin or with unrepentant sin? We all go through from time to time. It was evident in the lives of those who try to do right for the Lord, who try to, my wife can tell you very quickly when I'm living in unrepentant sin because I'm just not right. And she knows it. I'm not perfect. I have to ask for forgiveness many times during the week, many times every day. But I can keep, you and I both can keep, an un, can keep a repentant heart. And if you know you are a sinner, have you cried out to God? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? He is the personal atonement for your sin. If you are a Christian, let me ask you this. Do you live a somewhat committed life to God? Or is it an all-in life for God? Is Jesus Christ your personal Savior? Once these bells stop, I will finish. <laughs> <clears throat> They may never stop. But the gospel challenge is this. Can y'all hear me in the back? The gospel challenge is this. Acknowledge our depravity and our hopeless state before God. Ask for cleansing and forgiveness through Christ and His cross. And avow every aspect of your life to God through Jesus Christ. Truth be told, David went full circle from, an hypocr from a hypocrite to a prophet. He went from a man of sin to a man of God. He went from a transgressor of the law to a teacher of the law. He went from a David to a Nathan. Right? Nathan was telling him, now David is doing what Nathan, the man of God, is doing. He went from a David to a Nathan. And if I can say this, the David of Psalm 51 would have been just like the Nathan of 2 Samuel chapter 12. Where are we today? Have we given our life to Christ? Can we stand up for Christ? Is He enough for you? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat>